So favored USC and favored Stanford won their rivalry games. Neither covered the spread. Oregon, big win over Arizona in the return of the Air Bear. And Washington holds on in a crazy finish. All that. And then next week, we got two, two games pitting five win teams against each other for the right to play in a bowl. All that and more on this week's Eligible Receivers. He's Eric. I'm Warren. Let's start the show. Hello, blog fans. Well, you worked all week on trying to identify who the eligible receivers are. This is Eligible Receivers, the show where we review last week's Pac-12 action, pick next week's Pac-12 games against the spread, and keep track of how we're doing on our picks over the course of the season. Uh, Last week we had our first set of rivalry games, and let's start it off by talking about UCLA and USC, a game that the Trojans went into uh, sizably favored by 16 points in this game. Game ended up being close, which would you say is, you know, good showing for UCLA. Not good enough. Jim Mora gets fired. Yeah, it's weird. I think we all figured he was going to get fired, but I, I kind of thought he'd, they'd wait till after the Cal game. But apparently this covering the spread against USC in a game that UCLA was never going to win was the straw that broke Camel's back. Yeah, that's goofy. I mean, like if for, I mean, I, I think you had talked about, because I wasn't aware of it, that he had a gigantic buyout this season. And UCLA, uh, you know, it's weird how these athletic departments are. And I guess UCLA is apparently has a reputation of a little bit of penny pinching. I mean, they pay their coaches fine, but also they're not just going to be, you know, it's not like, Al, if you know, if like Nick Saban started losing and he had a $100 million buyout, they'd pay it after like, you know, half a season. Yeah. You know what I mean? And UCLA is not one of those teams, but I guess they had seen enough. Uh, do we know, is this, is this the, is there early signing in college football this year? Yeah, it's uh, December something. Yeah. So one, I wonder if that had any impact in it. Like people are maybe kind of eager to get the process started because otherwise it's going to be feeding frenzy on all UCLA commits now. And if they were just going to fire Jim Mora a week before that early signing day, you know, like next week, might as well just do it now. See if you can try and get somebody in, especially, you know, between Tennessee, Florida, uh, a bunch of schools looking for their next coach. You got to get in, uh, you know, cause I'm, I'm not, I don't think this is a particularly deep free agent head coach class right now. No, there's going to be a lot of schools that are, that are left, you know, taking flyers on mid major guys and, and retreads. I think they, I mean, it could be seven sec schools that are looking for a new coach. Um, depending on what happens with Gus Malzahn at Auburn. Yeah, I forgot um, if I, I didn't mention a Tennessee, I don't think, also, another big school. Oh, yeah, I mean, Tennessee, yeah. I mean, there's it, it, the SEC, uh, particularly the SEC East, um, is in complete chaos and disarray. And there's just not enough quality coaches to fill the void. So I think if you look at what UCLA is trying to accomplish here, they're probably trying to get a jump on that, you, as you as you pointed out, and maybe give someone a running start next Sunday after the Cal game, you know, to announce the hiring right then so that they have as much time as possible to get uh, a recruiting class pulled together. But this early signing period is super fascinating to me because entire schools' fortunes on recruiting are going to be made and lost, like, in that week before – you know, the week after the season ends and that week or two before the early signing period. I mean, 
if you're thinking of, I mean, you know, with all the chaos in the SEC with the Pac-12, Todd Graham might be let go at ASU. Um, you know, Moore is already out. There's talk that Taggart might be looking around and leaving Oregon. You've got all this stuff that's in play, and they're all going to want to make this jump in time to, you know, if the, you know schools are going to want to hire in time to let recruiting happen. Think of the the like. I know they're all verbal commits and not nothing binding, but think about the chaos that could that could reap. Yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah, because like you figure you're gonna yeah, it's just gonna be, you know, everybody's Tashal Poi is gonna be striking up those old relationships, you know, that they had shut down. Yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be nuts. I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, next up, we had Stanford and Cal, a game that was very interesting for Washington fans because the only way Washington's only path to a Pac-12 North title required at this point in the year, California to beat Stanford. Uh, Cal stoinks a field goal in the first half, and they end up losing by three, 17 to 14. Uh, a game that I think we all correctly had as close, and I think, well, I mean, I, I had been trying to believe myself into a Cal win. I think you had it correct that Stanford's going to win, but they're not. Stanford's rarely covering 16. That That's what ends up happening. Uh, not, I mean, Bryce Love, again, looks like he's dead. Yeah, I don't understand how that guy continues to run on that leg. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. I mean, he a couple times, more than once in this game, he'd finish a run and he'd just be like, oh, well, that's it. He's not walking anymore. And then, you know, they figure out a way to goose him up for another series. You know, I mean, I guess like Stanford, a lot of good venture capital connections. Uh, if the football thing doesn't work out due to maiming, but yeah, yeah, like I mean, uh, I don't know. I know what I'd do for zero dollars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, it's been real, guys. So, so Stanford uh, in position now. They'll be they'll be hoping for a Washington win in the Apple Cup uh, because then they'd go to the Pac-12 North title game. In the meantime, uh, as we'll talk about next segment, they're about to go get their doors blown off by Notre Dame. I think they they get to stay home to have that happen. Oh, okay. Well, eh, you know that's convenient at least. Yeah. Uh, uh, next up, we had Arizona State went to Oregon State, and I'll tell you what, you ride the Beavers till you fall off, and fell off big you somehow were the only man on arizona state island demonstrably better team and mere touchdown favorites against oregon state i've been getting a lot of uh you know nice love with oregon state they've been coming through for me barely covering lines uh and was not to be arizona state they got out to a big lead oregon state sort of threatened to close it up into something in the second half but then ultimately Arizona State, forty to twenty-four winners. I think I think what you've sort of figured out in, in Pac-12 football this year, as it relates to the Beavs, is that even like teams are going to jump out to these huge leads on them because they're just so much worse than everybody else. But then there's this boredom factor that's going to let the Beavs kind of scrap their way back into you know within twenty points, and usually these lines are over twenty points, so yeah line for there but this line was only seven and so there just wasn't enough scrap to be had for these bees yeah exactly you're you're exactly right i think you need 17 at least because this game was 30 to zero at one point yeah and then they they got it back to 16 by the time it's over i mean they scrapped back but there's just it's that's a lot of scrappiness to get within seven point line yeah 
And uh, so, yeah, so uh, Plucky Beeves are left with only the Civil War as an opportunity to get a Pac-12 win. Uh, speaking of the Civil War, Oregon hosted Arizona and the Air Bear returned uh, with a nice economical day. Good rushing day from Royce Freeman. Oregon, big win against Khalil Tate, 48-28. to 28. Uh, impressive, you know. I mean, Oregon uh, has been a real roller, roller coaster this year. I mean, they look awful against Washington. Uh, you know, I think they had like a three or four game losing streak at one point during the season, but they killed Utah at home and they killed Arizona, you know, here in this game. Uh, you know, let's say uncle Mo going good for the ducks. Yeah. I mean, they, they played well. There's some, there's some rumblings out of Arizona that Khalil Tate has a injured toe and wasn't really mobile, which. I mean, I think that's that's such the that's what he brings to the table is that that mobility, um, and and without it, that he's going to be you know he's going to be hard pressed to really strike fear in the heart of any any defenses. But uh, the Oregon offense definitely looked much better, um, and and Air Bear, you know, had a nice like seventy yard run in the first quarter of this game for a touchdown. And um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're Oregon right now, you got to you got to have designs on a on a, a seventh win here against the Beavs coming up, and then a, a a a lowly bowl somewhere that you can most likely outscore your opponent in a nice first season and maybe last season for Willie Taggart. Yeah, if you get through, uh, and if I mean if they get, I mean they're bowl eligible, you know, with this one. So I mean I'd say job done for them in terms of the regular season. That was looking like a question, uh, you know, a few, as recently as a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, credit to Oregon for that. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I kind of, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical that he'd leave there because this job, the Oregon job to me is so much better than any job he's ever had, but who knows, dude, I, you know, like, I don't know what, you know, obviously I don't know the guy and I don't know what people value. If he's apparently a Florida guy, then maybe that means something to him. Uh, but who knows? Yeah. I think if you look right now at his recruiting class, there's like five guys in it that are from the state of Florida and, and one from Georgia or four from Florida and one from Georgia. Yeah. I mean, he's still, he's still actually recruiting that part of the country. And that is not a long-term recipe for success at Oregon. Like, I, I'm sorry. It's just not. It, it may work this year and they may have a highly touted recruiting class coming in, but it's going to be hard to keep all those kids with the likes of Florida State and Florida and Georgia circling around them, you know, come signing day. And once you get them on campus, it's going to be hard to keep them there for the long haul because they're so far away from home and what they grew up in. And Eugene, Oregon is nothing like the state of Florida in in any sense of the word. Um, so I, I just think it's hard. And so that's I guess, you know, University of Florida is making a big run at Chip Kelly right now. So if they get him they're you know, Oregon probably dodged that bullet. But, I've, you know, you read that that Jimbo Fisher may be leaving Florida State. I mean, you know, that, that coaching staff in Oregon is put is put together to recruit the state of Florida. So the more big jobs that come open in that part of the country, you know, the more likelihood it is that he's going to be able to make a move yeah and what's it so i'm i'm again still skeptical that it's going to happen at least this go round uh the reason why it excites me is because i think it would be utterly devastating for their program to have to go out and find another guy to do it 
Uh, I mean, you know, starts with what you were talking about, about, you know, a bunch of recruits that would presumably uh, greatly prefer going to a University of Florida or a Florida State right along with Willie Taggart. Uh, And then, you know, I mean, you just, you get in the, you know, I think I talked about it when Washington was so bad in the mid-2000s. You get in that cycle where you get a coach for a year or two and it's the wrong coach and you have to give them three years. Cause like people are like, well, you got to be fair. And then all of a sudden you're paying three or four coach buyouts to guys that didn't work out. And then you're just, you're just in the woods. Uh, so, uh, you know, obviously I'd like for that to happen to Oregon cause I'm no great fan of theirs, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately I don't see it happening this time around. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's hard to, to differentiate between what I want to have happen and what is actually going to happen. And I think uh, the standard, you know, standard procedure as a coach does not leave a job after one year, but man, I don't know anymore. It does. Coaches are all over the place. I've also, you also look, you know, Jim Levitt's job is, is being mentioned for the K state job. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Snyder steps down, apparently that's, you know, there's a faction at K state that wants that to happen while Snyder wants his son to take over. Yeah. Um, they tried to make that happen. I saw Mario Cristobal, who's who's on that Oregon staff's name mentioned for one of the um, smaller openings in Florida. The you know that basically like if Scott Frost leaves or when he leaves, um, you know his job to go take the Nebraska job or somebody else's job that Mario Cristobal could be. That you know if you just look at that Willie Taggart staff, it is it is not a staff that is built for the long haul. It is it is all guys who have their eyes on a bigger prize. Um, and apparently Taggart may, may be a guy who's looking to go back to Oregon so I, or back to Florida. So I, I don't know. I, I would say under normal circumstances, you're right. There's a really slim chance it happens. But um, based on what you read, I'm giving it slightly better odds. Yeah, the, the one thing I give zero credit to is any statement by Willie Taggart saying he hasn't talked to anybody about anything. Yeah, because uh, he hasn't. His agent has. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, so you know those conversations are at the very least happening. All right, finally, that brings us to Washington. Hosted Utah, Washington were big favorites in this game, but they found themselves down late. Uh, They managed to come up with 10 points in the final minute of this game uh, to eke out a 33-30 victory, uh, infuriating and then thrilling. I thoroughly enjoyed myself watching this game when it was all said and done. Yeah, I, I was talking to my dad about it after the game, and I said, you know, no matter how angering the most of the entire game was in situations like that, where you find yourself in, it's always fun to be there for something like that, you know, to be there for a really undeserved and unexpected comeback when the game is pretty close to being lost. Yeah. Um, Or there was a, there was a fourth down on that touchdown drive. That was completed. Yeah. Like with, with one, 30 left to go in the game in your own territory that they had to convert just to keep the drive alive. And then they scored like four plays later. And then somehow with like a minute left, get the ball back, you know, like when they kick off, there's a minute left to Utah and Utah fritters away their, you know, their possession in less than a 10 seconds. It seemed like, um, and I mean, yeah, it's totally, totally unexpected. I can't say it was entirely deserved. I don't care at all, um, and I, I was happy for Vizcano for you know for being able to uh, uh, you know exercise some of the demons that he's had this year. 
Yeah, and I think uh, I think the key to enjoying this game is to do a Reese is to one just appreciate it because it was a close game in Washington one, and then the other thing is just recalibrate what we think of Washington right now because I think up until uh, you know you know very recently uh, Washington was being considered up up until they lose to Stanford we're still looking at the college football playoff rankings and saying, oh, if such and such happens, we got a chance to get in or something like that. And they've been basically conceived of by their fan base, including you and I, as a potential college football playoff team this year. And what they really are, are a team that's good like uh, Iowa is some years or Wisconsin is some years. Not really a national title contender, but you go at the end of the season and they're, you know, threatening double-digit wins or have double-digit wins and... Uh, some games they look good, a lot of games they look like they can be beat, but for whatever reason that year, they ended up winning those games. So, uh, it's, you know, Washington's not a great team. They're a good team and good teams, uh, are sometimes going to play close games that they don't expect, uh, because they're just not great. So they're not blowing everybody up. So I'm, uh, thrilled with it. I was thrilled, uh, for Tristan Vizcaino to get that game winning kick after he had, uh, I believe missed an extra point earlier in the game and hit a field goal so bad, it, you know, it, it looked like if I went out there and tried to kick one right now, uh, for him to come through and hit that 38 yarder, that would have been good from about 58 yards. Yeah. And he, he, I think he was actually helped in that scenario by the fact that on the preceding play, there was a, a fairly egregious, you know, pass interference on Dante Pettis that was not called. And the stadium was just, livid and incensed with the the fact that the ref chose not to to flag it and you know it was very obviously a penalty i i get why maybe a a ref is saying well i'm not going to decide the game on that although it was it was it was pretty outrageous yeah that was outrageous um it was it was a really bad non-call and and the the benefit to vizcano is that when he came out to kick the field goal everybody was already booing and so and so it's like they're not even like it's it's like that the Simpsons where it's uh, like are they booing me or are they saying boo earns you know or whatever it's like he was he was already everyone was already booing and mad so I think he could kick with a clear conscience and not and know that the stadium was already pissed um, and uh, it's you know whatever it was he he hit that pure it was right down the pipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I'll I'll uh, piggyback on that and say and do a slightly different version of that. Is that uh, if that's just a run of the mill incomplete pass and then the field goal team, you know, a non-eventful play that doesn't spark any kind of crowd reaction, then you get a lot more attention on the fact that Tristan Vizcaino is coming down on the field and people who've been watching are going to be kind of being like, oh shit, you know, and like that's going to be the vibe in the stadium versus like. Uh, nobody was paying attention to the fact that he was kicking a field goal th- until like the ball was snapped basically. Right. Yeah, that's uh, what I mean. Everyone was booing and they were yeah. mad and, and, you know, and then I was like, Oh, Whoa, this is happening. Like, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's really good. Uh, what has to be also pointed out in this game is that uh, when time expired, uh, if we could have been going to overtime because Washington seemed content to let the clock run out, and then with 28, 22 seconds to go in the game with Washington on their own, inside their own 30 or thereabouts, uh, Kyle Whittingham calls a timeout thinking, hey, we might get a punt return, have a chance to get a field goal of our own. Chris Peterson goes back to the sideline says, fuck you. How dare you for doing yeah. that? And then it's two long pass completions. And then all of a sudden, 
we have a very famous Kyle Whittingham timeout that basically gave Washington the opportunity to come back into this game. Uh, the, the other thing I wanted to say about that was that, was it on the possession before, so when Washington's down 10, they had stopped Utah on a third down with two minutes and 40 seconds left on the clock, and Washington had one timeout left. Rather than using that timeout, they just let the clock go down to two minutes, which to me seemed insane at the time, because I'm like, let's try and, you know, like, because we need all the clock we can get. We have the opportunity to control how fast we go on offense. Let's save those 40 seconds. They might be useful. Uh, but because Washington added that other timeout, they were able to use it uh, to force Utah to punt on that possession when they were tied. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I get it. It it, it everything broke right. I mean, it, it, after yeah. an entire game where the where the, the team did not look good, Browning did not look good. Your Pac-12 offensive player of the week looked pretty bad, and his pretty, statistics pretty bad. are are completely um, uh, what's the word we're looking for? Padded by a 75-yard pass to Miles Gaskin that absolutely should have been intercepted yeah. by two different defenders. Yeah. Uh, and and wasn't, so yeah. thankfully it wasn't. Best but, case scenario, it gets dropped. So but that's instead, how he gets the 350. It should have been 275 and, and a pick. Um, but you know what? Late in the game, I, he, you know, he, he, he's, he goes tempo. I, I, I don't know if you're Washington, if you cannot go tempo from now on, because the only time that he seems able to process the game is when it's moving fast. Because yeah. when, it, when we slow things down for him and, and, and go real slow, methodical on offense, he, he can't mentally pull the trigger when he drops back to pass. But when we go fast and it's frenetic, he just starts playing ball and is, and is 10 times better I know it's risky to put your defense, you know, to in danger of, of wearing your defense out, but I just don't see how Washington can't go tempo from now on, basically. Yeah, and you have been uh, all on top of tentative Jake Browning this year, uh, all season, and correctly so. And I think last the one thing I'm not mad about that Miles Gaskin touchdown, obviously, because it resulted in a touchdown. So I think on last week's show, I wasn't even really joking when I said, uh, just tell him to go out there and throw interceptions. Yeah. So I was, and that's what you know. Just, just rip it. Who gives a shit? You know. Yeah, start throwing. <laughs> yeah. So he threw an interception, and lo and behold, it became a touchdown. I know everything about football. Good work. <laughs> yeah, I feel good about that. Well, here's some evidence that might suggest I don't know anything about football. How'd we do on our picks last week? We did bad. <laughs> yeah. You won the week at yeah. two and three. Yeah. Correctly, having Arizona State and everybody had Cal against Stanford. Uh, otherwise, nobody had Oregon beating Arizona. That was a pick'em line. Nobody had UCLA covering. Nobody had Utah covering. Uh, so, after that debacle, uh, Dirty Worm still in first, forty-six and thirty-eight. Dirty Worm in town, I believe. I think I might uh, get to see him tomorrow. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, yeah. I'm a couple games back at Dirty Worm at 44 and 40. You're a couple games back of me at 42 and 42. Uh, all to play for. All to play for. So, uh, and then in terms of the, 
the title race, which we've been keeping track of on the back half of the season. Again, USC has clinched Pac-12 South. They are awaiting to see if they will be playing Stanford uh, or Washington State, and it all hinges on the Apple Cup and solely on the Apple Cup. If Washington State wins, Washington State gets a chance to uh, play USC and beat them a second time, or uh, Stanford, if Washington wins the Apple Cup, uh, they will be the ones playing in the Pac-12 title game. And losing for a second time. Yeah, exactly. I think I think probably USC is going to win the Pac-12 title game, regardless of opponent. Uh, it doesn't hurt that they have a bye this week. No. No. All right. So uh, with that, let's get into next week's action. We will start it off on Friday. Loser leaves town. Bowl eligibility on the line. We're going to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena in front of 34,000 people. California and UCLA, both teams, five and six. UCLA are touchdown favorites in this game. UCLA, I don't know who's coaching them. I don't care. Give me the Bruins. I like it. I say, ooh, yeah, I don't know. It's tough to say. How's What's the reaction going to be? A lot of people were, uh, saw a few uh, lengthy Instagram posts from UCLA players thanking everything that Jim Moore had done from them. Are they going to try and do something to send Josh Rosen out in style? All for fun, I'll take Cal. Give me some points. I don't think there's a ton between these teams. Nope. You're right. And Cal is, like, organized compared to UCLA. I mean, you would, you would clearly look at those two programs right now and say that Cal, I mean, has a coaching staff intact, has their act together far more than the Bruins do at this moment in time. Bruins just have Josh Rosen. So that's pretty much all I'm gambling on, and, and you're gambling on Law & Order with Cal. You know what's a weird thing about this game is that, like, I think, like, it's uh, – Cal would I, – I think – I don't know. I'm not sure how much, like, the UCLA athletic department really even cares to win it, you know? They got a coaching search they have to do, and then all of a sudden they got to come up with uh, hotel reservations and, uh, you know, a fancy bus to drive to the Foster Farms Bowl for something like that. And – uh they just need to get a new coach in to go start recruiting the people that have already committed there. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, but still, yeah, I think I've, you know, anything All could happen. All the reason why they'll just inexplicably like win this game. Yeah. Like for, likely in blowout fashion. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Their AD will be like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, territorial cup, uh, Arizona, Arizona state, I think that's what that game is called. Arizona are two-point favorites in this game. What do we know about Khalil Tate's injury? I don't know. If we got injured Khalil Tate, then all of a sudden we got a game. This game will be played at Arizona State's home field. Both of these teams predicted to finish in the bottom of the Pac-12 South. They don't need the game. They're both bowl eligible. Uh, So kudos to the Arizona schools this year. Uh, Who do you like between Arizona and Arizona State? I'm changing my mind. I like Arizona State. I like it. Little Tate injuries worries me, and they just got their doors blown off at Oregon, like you said, and that's not really good momentum going into a rivalry game to just be exploited and destroyed like that. And Arizona State has looked competent on offense at times, so I'm I'm hedging back over. I'm I'm, I'm on the Sun Devils camp now. I'm I'm basing my pick on the results of this news search on Cleo Tate. Nope. I don't see anything about an injury. I'll take Arizona. 
They're keeping him mum. Uh, Civil War, anybody? The Beavs. The Ducks. 24 and a half points. Too many points, baby. Give me those Beavs. I want the Beavs also. I, I talked myself into the Beavs and anything over 20 points as a as a, the way they're going to scrap their way back into it. I I don't put it past these goddamn Beavs to win the game. <laughs> they're not going to win the game. I don't think they're going to win it. They're going to lose significantly, but I think they're going to lose by like 20. Okay. I, I've, I've really been uh, feeling Beavs in the Civil War mojo coming for months down the line now. Just an inexplicable win. Uh, Ryan Nall, apparently the Beaver standout running back, on track to graduate here after three years. So, potential free agent. <laughs> That's all. I'll see you guys later. Yeah, it's uh, maybe one one last ride for him. I saw Canzano uh, was tweeting something today that he was going to have him on the radio show and ask him if he was going to play for Oregon next year. So that's I, I didn't see the results of that, but I'll be looking that up later. Uh, next up, we got Notre Dame at Stanford. Uh, Notre Dame two and a half point road favorites against Stanford team. That is rough, but a Notre Dame team that really had their hands full with Navy for a lot of that game last week. Uh, it's not you know like Notre Dame can be coaxed into a low scoring effort. Yeah, I think I think anytime you play Navy, it's always a it's always like a trap of sorts because Navy's like really really well coached and they run that triple option that nobody else other than like Georgia Tech really runs. Yeah, and and so I, you know I, I think Notre Dame has a lot more to play for in this game than Stanford. Stanford <coughs> like does not control their own destiny, you know, in the Pac-12 North. It, it, like whether they play in the championship game is going to be dependent on that outcome of the Apple Cup, and so. I would, if, you know, if you're, if you have designs on playing in that game and you're hoping to have the opportunity to, like, you need Bryce Love healthy, um, you know, you need to get your team through, you know, and this Notre Dame game doesn't matter a lick and you're not going to the playoff no matter what. So it's not like another loss is going to knock you out of the playoffs. It's not, um, you're already out. So I, I'm, I'm very confidently in Notre Dame's camp here. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, you figure no way Bryce Love plays this game because it matters not to them, you know. And so Stanford's going to go into the Pac-12 title game being a team that, you know, beat Oregon State by one in Oregon State's closest conference game, a team that lost to San Diego State, and a team that likely is going to get handily beat by Notre Dame. So, yeah, I'll take Notre Dame in this one also. Uh, Colorado and Utah, another Matchup of five win teams. Both teams need it, and both teams really need it in this one. Uh, who's going to be below eligible? Cal or ten and a half point home favorites? What did Colorado? Did Colorado even play last week? No, Colorado and WSU didn't play last week. I think that's what threw you off. Your two favorite teams were on a bye. Yep. Well, you know what? Buff, buff me till I'm dead. I, I like Colorado coming off a bye. Uh, this Utah team. Uh, it's going to be a sad story where they shot the last bullets in their gun against Washington, you know, in terms of fake punts, onside kicks, uh, wasting a lot of things that they could have used in a game where they had a better opportunity to win. And honestly, they did have a very good opportunity to win against Washington. They just weren't able to close the deal. Uh, give me the buffs, give me the buffs in an upset. And then all of a sudden Colorado has successfully banked their momentum from their Pac-12 title uh, game appearance from last year uh, and get to go bowling. Buffs to win, much less to cover, yeah. I agree. 
All right. Uh, then, that leaves us with an Apple Cup. We've got two ranked teams. We've got... It's the highest ranked Apple Cup of all time, I believe. Well, that's that's this series. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, if you probably if you look at like the regular polls, it's a lot better than the uh, everybody's switched to default on the CFP rankings. But, I mean, I think Washington, uh, you'd say, is probably the better team. But Washington State, better resume so far, you know, with the win over USC and a win over Stanford. What they, who'd they lose to? Arizona and... Cal. And Cal. God damn that Cal game for them. They shouldn't even need this. Uh, but you know, they got, they got Larry Scotted on that Cal game. They were on the road on a short week. Yeah. Uh, where it's where, what's what the PAC 12 likes to do to their top 10 teams. Uh, yeah. yeah so I don't know. I mean, I think un, until I see, uh, Washington state not play this game, like they're pissing their pants. I, I don't think you can pick them in good conscience. I think 10 points is a reasonable line and I like Washington to win. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be super interesting because um, WSU has not played well on the road this year, but they've got the better resume, like no question. Um, they they have probably three better wins than Washington's best win, um, Boise State, yep, um, USC, and Stanford. Yep. Um, and and so that would lead you to believe that that they, you know, that the line in this game is a little wonky, but I don't know. They don't look great on the road. They don't look great when they come to Husky Stadium. And Luke Falk has had a little Browning-itis this year where he holds on to the ball as well. Yeah. And I think the book on Washington's defense this year has basically been like you can get to them with a power running game and you can get to them with a, with a mobile quarterback. And WSU's got neither of those things. So you're pretty much pitting – you know, WSU's strength against UW's strength, which is sort of an umbrella defense secondary, you know, where, where eight guys are in coverage or seven guys are in coverage and they're going to try and get home with three or four. Um, and they've been successful in Peterson's tenure doing that. Um, but I, I think this is going to be a damn good game. Like, I'm, I'm super stoked for this game. I don't because – I think the Utah game was close because I think you were playing a relatively unmotivated, uh, maybe mildly deflated even Washington team aware, uh, despite what they may say, of the Stanford result and its implications for their Pac-12 title hopes uh, last week. And then they kind of just happened to be enough better than Utah to overcome uh, what was a pretty flat uh, effort for large parts of that game. Uh Washington does not have that same problem against Oregon. They don't have that same problem against Washington State. You're going to get the best of Washington from jumping this game. I think you're going to see uh, whoever the backup quarter is, uh, quarterback is for WSU before the first half is over. And I think uh, Washington, comfy winners. If the game's able to stay close, I think it's, yeah, a very interesting game because Washington State has shown uh, a lot more ability than Washington in close games uh, this year. I think Dave Baker uh, uh past couple of weeks has been tweeting about how subpar – Washington under Chris Peterson's uh, record is in one score games. It's really, you know, it's not good. We're the kind of team that either beats the shit out of you or uh, if it's close, we're in big, big trouble. But I like there, there's a, there's a weird, there's a mental thing going on in this game that I need to see evidence of it turning around before I can 
reasonably pick Washington State to do anything in this game. I, like, I honestly think Washington's going to blow them out. Famous last words, uh, Washington State's certainly capable of winning, but everything I've seen over the last few years uh, indicates to me that Washington is going to win by 20. You heard it here first. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I'll be uh, back next week to eat some crow. Uh, that does it for this week's episode of Eligible Receivers. For Eric, I'm Warren. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next week.